0: When a child is diagnosed with a serious, life-threatening illness, everyone in the family is affected. These stories from those families will move and inspire you. The children are gentle and determined. The parents are resilient and courageous. Courageous Parents Network provides a safe space that supports and empowers them, validating their experiences and promoting their stories so that others may also find hope and strength. Welcome, to the Courageous Parents Network podcast series. Carrie is the mother of Dylan and his older sister, Jessie. Jessie died in December 2015 at the age of 13 from San Filippo syndrome, a form of MPS. Carrie and her husband, Matt, say that Jessie was the light of their family, that she was always happy with a huge smile for everyone, especially her brother, whom she absolutely adored.
1: She was just energetic and social and really engaged. She loved her brother. He was her favorite person on the planet. She couldn't look at him without smiling. She just so enjoyed him. And they had a very, very strong connection, even after she lost all of her her words. um, They had a very strong nonverbal connection. Jessie was two and a half when she was diagnosed with San Filippo syndrome, and we had been searching for some sort of diagnosis for about six months, seriously searching for about six months. So that's a relatively short journey for a lot of families looking for a diagnosis for their child. Um, It still felt excruciatingly long to us. Um, So, yeah, when the neurologist, she had us, you know, she had us come in and just said, yes, I'm just having you here to confirm that it is MPS3, San Filippo syndrome. And um, she told us that these were going to be the best years of Jessie's life, right? That we were living them. And not to read too much about what was going to come next, but just to go home and enjoy her. And there was really nothing we could do. We weren't referred to palliative care until um, Jesse started having frequent ER visits at Children's. Um, and then it was the emergency room doctor that referred us to palliative care. She had made it almost her entire life never going to an emergency room um, until her last year of life. But it was something that I had thought about and I was very interested in, just in terms of managing her pain or discomfort, because I had a very low tolerance for seeing her in pain. And same with my husband, Matt. Um, but when I did, you know, suggest it to Matt, he right away was very upset that I was thinking that this was end of life. And that's not what I was thinking at all. And so it took a little bit of talking and he visited their website and um, he did agree to, to meet with them. I feel like Matt and I were lucky to always be on the same page. I mean, we talked about everything. Uh, ad nauseum. I mean, we really talked a lot about um, where we saw things going, what was important to us in terms of Jessie and and her life and um, her quality of life. And so I feel like we were really lucky to have a relationship where we were both open to talking about whatever at any time. And so before it was clear that she was dying, we had been having that conversation for about 10 years. And and so, that was really helpful. And I know that not all couples are there. Although we both always laughed that, you know, we couldn't have done this without Jessie. Because she was like a major support during her life because she was so happy and in the moment it helped us deal with it. So, and certainly my son too, um, you know, children have such a great way of, of living today, like that's the only important thing and it, you know, it helps. Um, when you have a child with a a terminal illness. It really helps to live in the day. And so your children help you to do that. You know, we reached a point where if she was awake, she was uncomfortable. And when we gave her the medication, she would be pretty much knocked out. And so there was a brief period there where she would be awake and she wouldn't be able to be engaged with Dylan. And, And that was really hard on him. And, and after she, the day after she died, he, he said that one of the things that he really regretted is that he didn't get to say goodbye to her, which is just crazy because he said goodbye to her uh, so many times the week that she spent in our home before she died. But in his mind, he wanted to say goodbye to her when she was still engaged with him and that she would hear it from him. And so ugh, that was really, that's, um, and and that can't happen, you know. How could that have happened? That we had realized when she was still engaging with us and happy that she was going to be gone in a few weeks, and so now say goodbye to her. I mean, it's just impossible to to have that point. It doesn't happen. But when you're 10, that's what you want. It was really difficult to. Um, to keep administering more and more medication, seeing her uncomfortable. And the, you know, I, I felt I felt guilty um, for feeling that I couldn't I couldn't deal with weeks of this. But I didn't feel like she had any quality of life. What what was going on? I mean, she couldn't even tolerate being awake. A- and then even when she was under all of the medication, you could see signs. Um, you know furrowing of the brow or you you know flaring of the nostrils you could see signs that maybe she was still uncomfortable and so you know the nurse was the nurse was great and said you're not awful this is what happens and that that's being compassionate you're seeing your child um, sedated to the point of um, being just knocked unconscious and still signs of discomfort and so she said that it, you know all the signs were saying that it was going to be very soon and so at that point my husband and i started just to vigil by her bed because we wanted to be with her when she died and early that morning matt came and woke me up and said um you know she, her breathing is really bad right now um and so i don't think she's going to last very much longer and i came downstairs and um, Gave her some more medication, and, you know, we were both there. She took her last breath. It was about five in the morning. Um, and, you know, <laughs> that's just an experience a parent should not have to live through. When when Jesse was diagnosed, I didn't know that you could become um, comfortable with the knowledge that your child wouldn't be there forever um, and that you could still have a pretty happy cohesive family um, with with a child that has a terminal disease and you know we we didn't realize that until we were living it but it's true I mean Jesse we did a lot of things with Jesse and um, Obviously, there were some things we couldn't do as a family, but we found other things that we could and um and you know we're we are better off having had her with us for the time that we did as a family um, she really gave us such a gift um, and and it's you know it's it makes it um it makes it such a loss to have this huge hole in our family uh, because she was just a big part of our family um, in all aspects. Um, such a presence. Um, so I, I, want, I would like parents to know that, um, that your day-to-day life can become um, a pretty happy place even though your child you, you're facing the fact that your child is going to die at some point. But that on a day-to-day basis, you can have a happy family and not be focused on that all the time.
0: The music you heard in this episode was by Alan Singley. Please visit CourageousParentsNetwork.org for more stories of courage, wisdom, and compassion.